So, um, you guys ready to dive into the scriptures? Hey, open your Bible to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to go back to where we were last week. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Wonderful passage of scripture. Very famous passage of scripture. Really articulates early church community and family um, like few scriptures do. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And uh, this is about the fellowship of the believers in, in the early church. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, and they devoted themselves. Everybody say devoted. To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. You guys want to learn some Greek? Say koinonia. A lot of you guys know that word, don't you? And to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It's an amazing just fourfold devotion that the early church had. They, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. That means they ate together. That's fun, right? And the prayers. It's the fourth, fourth aspect. If you want, if you're looking for a recipe for community, you don't have to look any further than Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You can practice these four things and I think you'll have a biblical prescription to participate in the life of community. What do you guys think? I think it's good. Verse 43, it says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That is an amazing passage. Would you guys agree? If you guys think that's awesome, just give me a good amen. It's an amazing passage of scripture, not only on community, but also on church. And so let's just pray into it, and then we'll, we'll just go for it, all right? So Jesus, we thank you for the book of Acts that details some of the most wonderful values of the church that we're participating in today. God, we pray that as we open up the scriptures, as we look at the book of Acts, as we look at the early church, would you teach us, would you help us, Holy Spirit, to learn from what you've done and how to apply that to our situation in the here and now in East Nashville. God, we're trusting you for an unprecedented awakening of the Holy Spirit for East Nashville. We pray over our neighborhood. We pray over our families, our moms, our dads, our sons and daughters, and all of our extended families. God, that we would experience a true revival of unity with the prodigals coming home in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last week, I started a new series on, on family, and uh, today I would like to continue that series about the family. I don't want to just talk about nuclear family, nuclear family meaning, you know, your mom or your dad, your natural mom or dad, or your natural sons and daughters or brothers and sisters. Uh, it applies to nuclear family, but what I really want to talk about is doing church as a family. How many of you guys in here today would would say that you would want church to feel like family. Is there any of you guys? 
okay, handful of you guys, that, that you feel like, man, it would be awesome if church would feel like family. You know, I think one of the reasons why there's so much, you know, unsurety about that question is because we all come with our own definitions of what family is when we go to church, right? Some of us, man, we had an amazing experience with our family. We, we, we maintain good, strong connections to get today with our parents or our brothers and sisters or, or our children. But then, you know, there's some of us in here that, that, you know, maybe we're estranged from our parents. Maybe we don't have a good working relationship, connection uh, with our family. So I realized that that church, doing church as a family can be a bit polarizing because some of us have a great experience. Some of us have a bad experience, but I believe that, that God wants us to all have an amazing unified experience as a family with one another as the, as the uh, book of Acts early church did as well today. Would you guys agree with that as you read the Bible? Well, let me ask you this question. If you only had the Bible, so let's say you only had the Bible, you did not have Google, Okay, you only had the Bible. If you only had the Bible to describe to someone what church was, how would you describe it? You only had the Bible. That's all you had was the Bible to talk about church. How would you talk about church? Have you ever thought about that before? If that's all you had, if this was the only resource you could use to create church, what would that church look like? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting question? How many of you guys today would say, man, I feel like when I read this Bible and I look at church today, I can't connect the two? Right? I think there's a lot of people um, that would say that. And I've really been challenging myself to get uh, values to get a paradigm for what this looks like, Legacy Nashville, this community, this church, using the Bible. Amen? Amen. Using the scriptures, because we don't want to just have a good business. Not at all. We want to have a biblical church community. Amen? So I've been, I've been looking at the Bible, and I'm realizing that as I read through the New Testament, as I read through church history, there is no way possible that as you read the Bible and you examine the idea of church, that you can disconnect yourself from the concept of a loving family. It's evident. It, 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 it almost just, it just pops up. It's like, it's right there, right? You see the early church, and you begin to think about family. We see in Acts chapter 2 that the early church truly uh, went after the great commandment wholeheartedly, right? They, they really did an exceptional job at loving God well. But what I think that they did that was absolutely revolutionary is how they loved each other. Do you guys agree with that? Sometimes we're so focused on, on loving God well like the early church, but I think we should also be focused on loving one another like the early church. Are you challenged yet? I'm already challenged. This week as I was, I was walking through the church right here, I, I, was, I was praying over your chair. You don't know this, but I've already prayed for you this week. I prayed Jesus would just get you real good, change your life, flip you upside down, inside out, right? And, and I, I was praying, I said, God, I'm a pastor, like I am supposed to want to do Acts chapter two, but I don't always wanna do Acts chapter two. Anybody else in here wanna be honest for a second? 
and, you know, oh, sell your boat and bring the money to the church and distribute it. I'm like, God, I don't know if I actually want to do that. I'm supposed to be more spiritual than this. And so I'm, I'm just like laying hands on myself, right? I'm just like, Jesus, please, you know, like that guy who said, I believe, but help my unbelief, yeah. right? I'm reading the Bible. How many of you guys know that you don't just read the Bible, the Bible reads you, yeah. right? It prophesies what your lifestyle, lifestyle is supposed to be like. So when you read chapters like Acts chapter two and you're like, uh, I'm not sure if I want that or not, right? It's God like giving you a handwritten invitation to say, hey, here's what my kingdom looks like. And if your life doesn't look like this yet, I'm gonna give you a prophetic word in the form of a scripture. And I'm gonna tell you, here it is. Here's a proclamation. Do you receive the invitation? Are we together? So when I read Acts chapter 2, I'm telling you, as your pastor, if I'm your pastor, I am greatly convicted. Greatly convicted, not condemned. Notice I did not say condemned. That's what the enemy does. He condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts. I'm convicted. I'm like, man, I don't know how to do this, God. Can you help me understand because you not only see it in Acts chapter 2, you see it again in Acts chapter 4. People are, people are selling their homes and they're bringing the money and they're putting it at the apostles' feet and then these leaders are distributing the money in accordance with the needs of the people and it was said about the early church that there was no poor among them. Anybody else convicted by that? You look around East Nashville, man, I'm up here most every day. And can I tell you guys, most every day, somebody knocks on the door and asks for money. So, some of you guys who've been here for a while, can I get a good amen? And someone said, hey, there's a guy, you know, out back. He wants to see a pastor. You know, this is a day-to-day -day occurrence here. We have poor among us in East Nashville. And if we are to apply these scriptures to what we're currently doing in this context, then God is saying there's actually a prescription. There's actually a possibility that, that we could absolve poverty in our community. I was a missionary to India for four years. People used to argue with me all the time about how there was supposed to be poor people. You know, they said, well, Jesus said, you know, the poor you'll always have with you. And I'm like, well, but was he talking to you or to his disciples? I think it's a worthy question because we know that there are no poor people in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. So if we're going to pray your kingdom come, your will be done for healing, why would we not pray that for finances? So I think the kingdom coming, man, looks like people getting an upgrade in their finances, having their needs met. Am, am I on a soapbox right now? Sorry. So is this relevant today, you guys? Honestly, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking these, you know, prodding questions, right? Is this really relevant? Yeah. 
Like, is this really possible? Is it possible in 2016 for a church to function as a family? Is it really possible for Legacy Nashville or another church in our city to really truly function as the early church did in Acts chapter 2? It, does it, is it even supposed to function that way? Is that what God wants? Is this a different time? Is this a different season in the kingdom? It, it, you know, has God forgotten that? I mean, these are all questions that we should ask ourselves when we're reading the scriptures. Is this too heavy for you guys already? Do you feel that same conviction? I feel in my heart. I feel it, guys. Is it possible for, for the church to exist as a family is the question that I've been uh, researching this week. Um, I, I found some statistics online. And most people today, according to recent research, do not believe that the church resembles family at all. Most people in America, they do not think about church as family. Most people in America think that the church resembles a business, that the church is a business. That's how most Americans think about church. It's a business, right? It's all about the bottom line. It's about the P&Ls, the profit and loss, right? That's how a lot of Americans see the church today. They see it as a business. You may have heard this quote before. I've always found it fascinating. In 1984, Dr. Richard Halverson, he was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate at the time. He was speaking to the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church, and he said this. In the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Isn't that an interesting quote? As a result of the church in America becoming a business for most Americans today, 80%, you guys get this stat, 80% of people in America who want nothing to do with church today actually grew up in church. Eight out of ten people in America that say, I hate church. I want nothing to do with it at all. Eight out of ten grew up in church. A lot of those people actually grew up serving in church. They, they got into their teens or their early 20s, and they were pastors, some of them. You know, of that group, uh, one in five of that group, one in five, um, what they're saying is that, well, you know, I like Jesus, but I absolutely disagree and dislike organized religion. So that's about 20%. About 20% of um, what, what this research, they're calling it religious nuns, not N-U-N like the Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S, right? Nuns. It means like, I, you know, I, I don't affiliate with anything, right? A ton of that group in our nation, guys, they're prodigals. Like they, they're like, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't, I don't believe in anything. I don't believe in organized religion. In fact, I dislike it. It's a business, right? Can you guys see how they might arrive at this conclusion? I can personally as a pastor, I can see that. I don't, I'm not even like shaming any of those people for that because I believe that God's given us a prescription called divine love, operating within the context of real community that feels and looks like family, and that that 
will actually bring the prodigals home and will create a sustaining environment for, for people to do what they've been called to do in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's my personal opinion. But as we, as, we talk about, um, <clears throat> as we talk about the church today, and, and I ask you this question once more, how would you define church if you only had a Bible? If that's all you had was a Bible, how would you describe church? I think that if you look at our state today and you look at our ancient roots, those two are not connected. Would you guys agree with that? If you agree with that, just say amen. amen. That's the way that it seems, right? Why? How? How has that happened? How have we disconnected church today from our ancient roots? Would you guys like to hear my opinion? Because we've strayed far from family. That's why. We've disconnected from the idea of family. We, we no longer do family well. That we've stopped doing it. So some of this, guys, is simply culture. Because we live in the West today, we, we, you know, we identify with Western culture. It, it, it would do us well to constantly remind ourselves that the Bible was written in an Eastern culture. Right? For Eastern people. So their culture then was very different than our culture today. Our culture today says something like this. Well, you got to look out for number one. Anybody ever heard that before? You got to look out for number one, right? We obsess over stories about self-made millionaires, right? Nobody even wants the help anymore. I'll do this thing all by myself, man. Because then that way, you know, I'll feel better about myself because I'm independent and that's what matters most is my independence. You guys with me? So that's what scientists, philosophers, they're saying uh, really characterizes uh, Western ideas uh, of culture is radical individualism. Radical individualism. One of the highest values uh, in our Western culture today is, is radical individualism. I get to do what I want to do when I want to do it, right? That's like the most radical value we have. But in Eastern culture, it was actually the exact opposite in Eastern culture, the individual always took a back seat to the family. Whereas in Western culture, the individual always puts the family in the back seat and they say, whatever's best for me is what's going to be. Have you guys ever seen that movie called The Titanic? I'm not recommending it to you, okay? Let me just say that, or I'm not recommending it to you, but how many of you guys would say, man, Rose could have saved Jack. She had enough room on that piece of wood. It was possible. I don't understand why he sank. It was, there was enough square footage. He froze. He's right there. Put him on the, on the door or whatever that was. She was, I don't know. Anyways, that's not the point. The, the point is you know, when, when I went to the theater and I watched Titanic, I, I was really young. I don't remember how old I was, but um, it's an interesting vibe, right? When you watch the Titanic, because, because you see this woman, have you guys seen this movie? Her name is Rose. And um, she, she comes from a, an affluent family, right? And, and her mother, her mother is a widower. Is that right? She's a widow. I'll get it right. So she's a widow and uh, she needs Rose to marry this really rich guy so that they can keep the family operating, you know, at the same standard. 
She's saying, hey, look, I know this guy's a jerk. I know he's mean. I know he's not like who you like, but you need to marry him for the sake of the family. You guys remember this part of the story? But Rose, you know, on the front of the ship one, one evening meets, you know, our beloved Leo, <laughs> right? Jack, right? And she falls in love with him, right? Because, I mean, come on, he's Leo. He's a handsome guy. And, you know, she falls in love with him. And you can feel the vibe, right? You can feel the energy in the theater. It's like, leave that man He's nasty and he's mean and follow your heart. Who cares that he's poor and he can't do anything for your family? Follow after true love. So for us today, guys, just to put this whole cultural class in, clash in perspective, for us today as a Western society, we absolutely root for Rose to leave that terrible fiance of hers and to go after Leo, Jack, and fall in love with him and live happily ever after because that's what love stories look like in the West. But if we grew up in first century Palestine in the East, when the early church in Acts chapter two was written, we would be absolutely disgusted by the fact that Rose was even considering not marrying this fiance for the sake of her family. We would have felt just the opposite. You better not, Rose. No way. I can't believe you're going to follow after that dude because that's not going to help the whole. That just benefits you. You're being selfish. That's absolutely disrespectful and dishonorable. Right. We'd be throwing tomatoes at the screen. <laughs> Boo. Boo this man. Right? So that's the culture clash. Am I making a good point for you guys? Are you understanding? See, the, 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 the society of Acts chapter two was called a strong group society, okay? The individual never came before the whole. It was always the case that the whole always, always 100% of the time came before the individual. It was so dishonorable, so disrespectful to put yourself before the group. So you see why this was possible? And you see why it's so difficult today? Because our highest value, man, is radical individualism. We don't necessarily identify with the group. We're just worried about ourselves, right? And so these are a few things that we're going to have to break through on. I'm not saying that we should all be practicing, you know, ancient Eastern culture here. We live in the West today in Nashville, which is a pretty hip city, right? So we should be incarnational. But at the same time, I think there are some principles that the Bible teaches us that we can apply to our lives to achieve family today. You guys want to hear a few of these roadblocks, a few of these principles? So I want to, I want to read to you guys three, um, three points. And these three points are what family requires. If you raised your hand and you're like, man, church should be a family. If you're hearing these scriptures and you're like, I agree, church should be a family. I'm going to give you guys three principles of what is going to be required of you Okay, what's going to be required of us if we're ever going to experience church as family? You guys ready for it? Okay, so here's the first one. The first one is this. This is what devotion means in Acts chapter 2 when, when it says, and they devoted themselves. This is what's going to be uh, required. First and foremost is going to be a covenant commitment. That's the first thing that's going to be required. A covenant commitment. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Family is not just the people that you're in community with. 
Family is the people that you've made a covenant with. That's who, you're in, that's, who you're, that's who your family is. Sometimes we can have covenant relationships with people who are not even our own blood, right? And they're closer to us than our own blood, right? Why? It's not just because they're hanging around and they're close in proximity to us, but, but because we've made an intentional covenant relationship, a covenant commitment to them, right? A covenant, what is that? Covenant is a sacred connection between two people that's characterized by faithfulness. It's committed to love, action, and responsibility. That's what a covenant commitment is, right? And so when we come into a church, into a church family, the only way we're going to experience it as family is if we first and foremost make a covenant commitment to the whole, right? I think this is one of the big reasons why we don't achieve family in the church. We, we're like, ah, I'll make a light commitment rather than making a strong covenant, if you're going to experience church as family, it's going to take more than a light commitment. It's going to require a strong covenant. You guys with me? So I think this is one of the reasons why we don't achieve family. Most of you guys don't know this about me and my wife. We talked about it this week. I've cleared it with her. All right. Uh, because I said, I think it might be time for me to tell this story to the church. Most of you guys don't know this, but my wife and I actually broke up just a few months before we got engaged. Most of you guys don't know that. I know, silly me. It was me. It was all my fault. I'm the one that did it. Why would I ever do that, right? But I got to be honest with you guys. Here's, here's why I, I believe that, that we broke up. It was my fault. It was my fear of covenant commitment. That was, I was afraid. I was afraid of covenant commitment because I recognized what covenant meant. And that was scary to me. I was like, I'm comfortable with a light commitment. But I am freaked out with a strong covenant. Because that means like I'm giving you like everything, man. What, what's going to happen if something, something that I feel like is better for me comes along? I'm getting in your business now, huh? Who... What's going to happen if, if, you know, if she doesn't meet all of my uh, checklist? Or what if my checklist changes and then I need something else and she can't do that for me? I'm comfortable with this light commitment, but I don't know about a strong covenant. I don't know about that, man, right? I was so afraid of making the wrong decision. I was scared maybe something better for me is going to come along. I mean, come on, that's ridiculous, right? How could something better for me come along? <laughs> I might have even said, oh, you know, I'm just waiting for the perfect person. You know, I'm just waiting for that, that perfect someone to come on by, right? The truth is I was really scared of covenant. You know, uh, the minister Lauren Hill once said that <laughs> fantasy is what people want, but reality is what people need. And I think so oftentimes what keeps young people from getting married is because they're so addicted to a fantasy that they're not even in tune with reality. And they're, they're willing to make a light commitment to someone because, um, you know, that's good as long as they keep meeting my needs. But they're unwilling to make a strong covenant with someone because that's the reality of saying, I choose you no matter what. I choose you. It doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what goes. I'm going to be with you forever and ever and ever. That's what covenant is. 
That's what covenant is. And when we talked about Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that says, and they devoted themselves, that word devoted there is actually a Greek word called proskaterio. And what it means is to continue to do something with intense effort despite difficulty. The only way that you're going to experience church as family, the only way you're going to achieve covenant community is if you're willing to devote yourself to the family and continue to with intense effort despite the difficulty required. You guys getting anything out of this so far? See, the truth is, man, I was scared of covenant. And, you know, I could, I could have used that excuse. Well, I, you know, I'm waiting, on, I'm waiting on the perfect person. All that is is like that's fear masquerading as courage, right? Really, in truth, on the inside, I'm just scared. And I can't tell anybody about that because I don't have a great enough connection to. You guys with me? Okay, so um, let, let me just say this real quick for all the singles in the room. Everybody's like, oh. <laughs> it takes far more courage to commit to someone than it does to stay single. It's true. It really, it really is. And you could apply this in a spiritual sense to people who never put down roots in any particular church. If you have a plant and you keep transplanting it over and over and over again, when does it become strong? Right? It never becomes strong, right? And that's because if you choose to stay, if you choose to make a covenant commitment, what happens? You grow. When you choose to be planted, you grow. But people who constantly go, they don't grow. And they have to be independent because... They are, in their minds, they're the most spiritually mature people on the planet, but they're not in relationship with enough people so that they can learn otherwise. You know what I'm saying? Right? They, they don't have, they think they're spiritual, but the truth is they're not as spiritual as they think they are because they don't have anybody in their life pushing their buttons. So they, so they never actually, they never, have, they never have the opportunity to grow and become more righteous because every time conflict comes, they hit eject. And so they're walking around by themselves thinking about how spiritual they are or how righteous they are or how wonderful they are. But the truth is we don't actually become righteous or we don't actually become mature uh, outside of community. That only happens within community. And that, to be honest with you guys, that was actually what pushed me to be like, wise up. I'm being stupid. Let's get engaged. Seriously. Because for me, I thought, I thought oh, you know, I, I'm afraid of this covenant commitment. But I realized that if I didn't make a covenant commitment, that I would be missing out on so much that God had for me. You guys with that? You understand that? See, it's in covenant that we become, that we grow, that we become righteous, that we're sharpened, that we have the opportunity to grow. You'll be more spiritual in church than you will be in a cave as a monk. Because if you're all by yourself, you never have anybody to sharpen you. And you can believe that you're super spiritual, but really you're not because your spirituality's never been tested by that person who sits across the room from you who always gets on your nerves, who pushes you into a place of prayer to where you really have to come before the Lord and say, God, I can't take this person anymore. 
And he's like, okay, boom. See, you're getting to grow. You're getting to learn. You're getting challenged. You're growing. You're bearing fruit. That person over there, they're in their cave like, look how spiritual I am. And they're not spiritual at all. Is this making sense to you guys? That's the problem with radical individualism. You don't grow. You stay the same. Number two, and this will kind of connect a little bit to my Titanic example, okay? But devotion means family first. And I'm going to get into some trouble with this one, so I'm already going to throw out the disclaimer. But I really want to like, I'm, I'm like dadding you guys this morning, okay? If that doesn't make sense to you, it means I'm trying my best to father you, to, to be honest with you about what's going to be required for us to have a family, uh, a family feeling in here, a family environment, a family culture. You know, um, eight years ago, God spoke to me about going to Brazil to preach the gospel. Eight years ago. And it was a really, really strong encounter. God said, I want you to go to Korea, I want you to go to Japan, and I want you to go to Brazil. Eight years ago, after he spoke that to me, I immediately went to Korea, like three months later. I, I hopped on a plane, went over to Japan, uh, same trip, but I never went to Brazil. That was eight years ago. And all this time, I'm waiting like a door to open. You know, you don't want to just force yourself, show up in a nation let, outside of a word from God. You know, you want to have connection. You want to have relationship. You want to go there to, to make an impact, right? And so I'm waiting like, God, open a door to Brazil, open a door to Brazil, well, a friend of mine, he calls me and he says, hey, listen, I have an opportunity that I want to throw out there to you. If you'd like to join me, come on this trip with me to Brazil. It's going to be thousands of people there. It's this huge conference. You're going to preach alongside Heidi Baker and it's going to be massive. It's going to, it's, it's like, it's this like stadium event, right? It's like thousands of people are going to be there. It's going to be awesome. And, and Brazilians love to follow you on Instagram. So you'll get tons of Instagram followers. Like it's going to be amazing. I don't realize how, how much of a true story that is. Some people go to Brazil just for that. They're like, I will pay you to come preach at your church because everybody will follow me on Instagram. <clears throat> anyway, that was somebody who's listened by the podcast. So I'm like, yes, this is amazing. I'm so stoked. I get to go to Brazil finally. I get to do the word that God gave to me. This is awesome. Like, I'm really excited. I'm, I, I, you know, I'm buying my plane ticket, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my brother... Jordan, he calls me and he's like, hey, man, what are you doing on the 21st of such and such? And I was like, oh, dude, I'm going to be in Brazil. It's a huge event. Eight years coming, man. Like, I've had this word. He's like, well, uh, I'm getting married on that day. <laughs> and I'm like, you're, uh, ho no, 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 no. You're going to reschedule. Because you don't, get, you don't just get to figure out when you get, want to get married on a whim. That's not how this works, bro. You communicate with the family. You make sure everybody's good. You set it up so that everybody can be there. No to your wedding. I cancel you. I cancel your wedding. <laughs> I cancel you. I cancel this wedding. I was like, no, it's just not going to happen. I'm so sorry. You're not going to get married. That is totally wrong of you to do this. You didn't even plan this, dude. Nobody even knew you were getting married. Nobody even knew you were getting engaged. So like a week ago, you can't just bump your wedding up like this. 
And he was like, listen, you know, I've taken everything into consideration. This is really the best day for me. It's the best day for my fiance. And this is the day it's going to be. I mean, it's no big deal. I'll just go to Brazil. And I was like, wait, what do you mean it's no big deal? He's like, it's no big deal, man. I understand the nature of our family. Like, we're all called to ministry. He's like, it's fine. Just go preach. And it broke my heart because I was like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, there's no way that I could go to Brazil and preach on the day that my brother gets married. And he's like, well, I know it's a big opportunity for you. And, you know, I just figured that it wouldn't matter that it was on that day because, you know, I understand the nature of your calling and ministry is so important to you. And I was like, hold on, wait just a second. Did you believe in your heart of hearts that when you told me what day you were going to get married, I was not going to come to your wedding because I had a preaching engagement schedule? And he was like, yeah. And I said, do you not see anything wrong with that? Do you think that's the culture of our family? Is that what we're building? We need to have, a, we need to have an intervention. We got to get everybody together. This is wrong. Is this what we're building? This can't be what we're building. And I was so upset with him. I got to be honest with you. I was mad at him. I was like, your irresponsibility is costing me. You know, I was doing all that. And then when I prayed about it, when I prayed about it, how many of you guys know it's a good idea to, to pray about things? Especially when you're upset and, and right before you confront somebody, you know, because you got your perspective, got your ammo for the battle, right? The injustice that you've brought to my doorstep. We're about to have a clash, buddy. But then you pray about it and you get God's perspective and you zoom out and all of a sudden you're like, it's my honor to cancel that engagement. It's my privilege to cancel that engagement. Why? Because what I'm going to do there, yes, it may make an impact in the life of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 strangers, but what kind of an impact is it going to make on my own brother and his future children and his future wife, right? And that's what I felt like God asked me to do. And in our society, in our Western culture, this is kind of odd. Because I already had the same schedule, man. I lost money on the plane tickets, like 800 bucks. But see, in, in, in the first century early church, this would not be strange at all. In fact, if I chose to go on that trip, I would be completely shamed, dishonored, and, and, and had disrespected my family. I would, have, I would have been disloyal. I would have spit in the face of my family. I would have done some of the worst possible uh, things I could do to my family in, in the early church. That's tough, huh? But, you know, honestly, guys, it's tough to find people today that are willing to be friends with people without benefits attached. We're so often, you know, we're friends with people for what we can get out of the deal and we're calling it family. But the truth is that's not family. That's networking. But we fooled ourselves into believing that it's real friendship. Man, I have such a great connection. Really? Yeah, they do this for me and that for me and this for me and that for me. Take all those benefits away. What do you have? Eh, I don't really want to hang out with that dude. You're networking. You're not building quality relationships. Guys, if church for you is about opportunity, you should never complain that it doesn't feel like family. Because you are approaching it as a business. Yeah. 
So many people, I know it, we live in Nashville, so many people choose their church on the basis of the opportunities that they receive. Well, I'm gonna go to that church because I'll get an opportunity to do this. Fill in the blank, whatever you wanna do, whatever your goals are, whatever your calling is. But real family is not about grabbing opportunities to further your personal goals. That's not what real family is about. In family, you receive opportunities, but not simply so that you can further your agenda. The opportunities are there so you can benefit the whole. Is it, is it helping us at all this morning? If, you're, if you are here, if you're here this morning, and, and the only reason that you're here is for an opportunity to lead something, you will leave as soon as a better opportunity comes along. You'll be like, well, that person over there wanted me to do this in their church, so God called me. <laughs> oh, okay. I've, I've had many of those conversations. But what that is, is it's looking at people as stepping stones and not as family members. Not only is it not love, but it's also not Christian. You cannot reconcile that idea with biblical thought. It's it just not present. Family looks like a commitment to the whole, even when that means losing opportunities for yourself. Family means making decisions on the basis of what's best for everyone and not just for yourself. You can't think about it in the sense of, well, I'm going to make this decision because it, it, it makes sense for me. Yeah, but how does it affect the whole church? That's, that's, how, that's how parents think, right? Kids don't think that way. They think about what's best for me right now in the present, right? But maturity, maturity actually creates a higher perspective. So here's the third thing. <clears throat> and I would say this is probably one of the most important things, if not the most important of this talk. Devotion, being committed, forging family, it looks like something. It looks like forgiving. Forgiving. Uh, for me personally, I, I, I might even say that this is probably the primary reason why church doesn't feel like family. And that's because we struggle to forgive. There are so many people that I have met in East Nashville that say, I disagree with church. I don't want anything to do with organized religion because I have church hurt. And I'm like, no, you have unforgiveness. That's unforgiveness is what that is. It's, it's, it's an attempt to place the blame on somebody else rather than take personal responsibility for your own emotions. That's all that is. That's unforgiveness. That, that, that's, that's where we need healing. And see, you know, Satan, right, the Greek Diablo, which means to divide, he tries his best to separate you from the very thing that God designed to bring you into that healing. Yeah, right. Your family, your community. He's like, hey, hey, you don't need anybody. Be radically an, an individual. You don't need any. You can get all you need from podcast and YouTube. You never have to go to church unless somebody calls you to speak, unless somebody calls you to play music, unless somebody calls you because they want you to show off your gift. You don't need any churches aside from that. 
Because, you know, all of that, that's all you need. You're good. That is, that is the Satan, not God, telling you that. That is the conditioning of our westernized culture that is pushing us towards that position, not biblical thought. You cannot reconcile that idea with the Bible. And, and you know, I'm hurt. It's unforgiveness. We have to practice forgiveness if we're ever going to achieve family. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. The apostle Peter, he came up to Jesus. He said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus really upped the ante here. He said, I do not say to you seven times, but I say 77 times. Who, who keeps count? You know, of 77 times, right? When you're in covenant family relationship with someone, you don't reject them and run away just because they've hurt you. You know, because of my covenant relationship with my wife, if we get into an argument, we don't get divorced. Because our commitment to one another is stronger than a light, you know, well, when it's good, I guess I'll stay into it. But it's a covenant commitment, right? There's a time to be angry. You know, there's a time to be hurt. All that's going to happen within the context of church. If you stay here long enough, I will probably hurt your feelings at some point. <laughs> Truth be told, there's, I'm going to say something. I'm going to do something that's not great. Why? Because I'm not Jesus. And other people are going to hurt you too. You know why? Because they're not Jesus. It keeps us, you know, we get hurt by each other. It keeps us remembering who God is in our life. It's not a person. It's not a man. It's him. It's Jesus. If we're ever going to achieve family, we're going to have to practice forgiveness. You know, a family that won't forgive won't last. Pretty soon, if a family won't forgive, pretty soon the only thing they're going to have in common is their last name. If a family doesn't forgive, the only thing they're going to have in common eventually is the name on the front of their church. But when a family forgives one another, what they say is they say, I care about the family and connection is more important than my perspective. That's what family is. Unforgiveness, it destroys family. Forgiveness, it forges family. When, when, when people are unwilling to forgive, when we are unwilling to forgive, when I am unwilling to forgive, all I'm saying is my perspective is more important than our connection. And that's what we have to overcome when we come into the context of community. You know why? Because your perspective is not always going to be picked. There, I, I can almost bet you there was somebody, one of them being me, you know, that argued over whether we should have hardwoods or carpet. Yes. <laughs> right? Well, the sound, well, the look, you know, we went back and forth. It doesn't matter. You know why? Because our connection is more important than our perspectives. Yeah. So whether or not we worship on top of carpet or hardwood, it's going to be all good because Jesus is what's most important. That's what keeps us family. All right, guys, I'm going to close and I want to read one more uh, verse of scripture. John chapter 13, verse 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment. Everybody say commandment. commandment. Notice he didn't say suggestion, right? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
And get this part, verse 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's, that's, that's how Jesus said that people would know that we are disciples because of the way that we love one another. You know why 80% of people who say, I want nothing to do with church, but grew up in it, why they don't want to come back? Because of that very reason right there. They don't see the love. They see business. They see networking. They don't see real covenant relationship and commitment. They see, you know, scrambling for opportunity and not a strong covenant commitment to the whole. But this is what Jesus said. Hey, man, you want to see your friends saved? You want to see your neighborhood set on fire? You want to see your city transformed? Love one another. Because when you love one another, you're going to communicate to other people what I'm like. You know, guys, if I was never a Christian, I'd never heard the name of Jesus. I'd never listened to a, a, a preaching or, or had been to church or knew anything about Christianity. And, you know, somehow I was shipwrecked on a desert island and a Bible washed up. And I read it cover to cover over and over, years and years and years. I just kept reading it because it was the only thing that I had to do. And one day, somehow, someway, I got rescued off that desert island. And the people who rescued me said, man, there's a church two blocks away. What would I go in there expecting to see? What would I go in there expecting to experience? Would I go in there expecting a loving family? Or would I go in there expecting, a, you know, everybody passing around their business cards? Yeah, I'd walk in, maybe see a few people in the back hugging each other a little bit. Hey, what's up? How you doing here? You know, there's our bulletin. Uh, bye. I'd sit through the message. Maybe I need a place to go. I need a place to live for a few days. I need to, some food to eat, maybe some money. Would anybody help me? Would somebody invite me in? Would somebody say, hey, you can stay over here. Hey, you can hang out with us. Hey, you can sit here. Would that happen? So let me ask you guys again. I mean, if you could only use the Bible to describe what church is supposed to be like, then what would you come up with? Because in this time of forging the family, these two churches becoming one church, our first month together, this is what we decided to talk about. That's what we felt like God was saying. Forge the family. We don't want other concepts, other ideas of what it looks like to do this thing, man. We want to hear from God. We want to pray, receive from His voice, read the Bible. So if this is all we have, what is this supposed to look like? I'm convicted. Are you guys convicted? So I just want to invite you to stand up. Here's the reality, guys. We, for five years, man, for five years, we've been making this declaration. We're not just a ministry, we're a family. And there has been times in the life of our church where I have regretted making that declaration because I thought, man, we should have just declared that we have, that everybody tithes. You know, or we should have declared there's enough kids workers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Probably should still declare there's enough kids workers. Today we were one short. Help us out. Jump in. That's what family does. So let's, let's think about the commitment, the covenant commitment that we ourselves are willing to make. Is it, is it being destroyed by our radical individualism is our way the most important way. 100% of the time, you're never willing to change your perspective for the sake of community and connection. Is that you in here this morning? Is that where you're at? 
Perhaps you're withholding mercy from someone, even in this room. Perhaps you're thinking, I'm not going to forgive. Nope, not going to do it. That person hurt me and, and they deserve to know it. You know, staying in that state is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick. You're only hurting yourself. It's time to let that stuff go. It's time to forgive this morning. So here's what I want you to do. I just want you to close your eyes. Just bow your head if you don't mind, just for, just for a few minutes. And I just want you to ask yourself, like, God, is this, is this message from you? Is this message from you, God? And if you feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and saying, yes, this message is from me, then ask him a second question. What do I need to do with it? What responsibility do I need to take? Do I need to forgive? Do I need to commit? Do I need to repent for the fact that I've exalted opportunity, my opportunity over the family? Am I standing in the way of this being biblical? Maybe you're thinking like I did this week. Wow, yep, I agree, God, but help my unbelief. And that's okay. That is absolutely okay. God's not asking us to be successful. He's just asking us to be faithful. Faithful to his voice. So what's God speaking to you right now? You may need to call somebody after this and just forgive them and just say, hey, listen, I've really held this against you in my heart. You may have never even known it. But I just needed to call you and ask you to forgive me. I'm so sorry about that. Just get that weight off your chest today. Just let that go. Free yourself from that. If you feel like that this church is your family, that God's called you to be here, He's spoken to you to be here, make that commitment today in your heart to say, this is my family. I'm gonna, I'm gonna devote myself to my family, not to a business. Not, I'm, not, I'm not devoting myself to a business. I'm not even devoting myself to a place, but I'm devoting myself to a people. That's the people in this room. That's the people who are part of our family who couldn't be here today. So we just thank you, Father. I, here's, what I, here's what I wanna do, and, and um, it's a little unorthodox, but um, are you closing today? Kristen's gonna close for us. Um, but just before she does, would you mind just to turn to one person next to you, just, just in groups of two, just turn to one person next to you. And what we're going to do is, is we're just going to share an impossible situation in our life. Just share with that person, hey, this is an impossible situation in my I really need God to come through here. Here's something that I need God to show up on. Could you just turn to somebody right now real quick and just share that with them? And we're just going to pray together as we're, as we're finishing today. We're really going to pray for each other, guys. We're going to do this thing as a family. Just real quick, okay? Just a minute-long prayer for each. Short prayer for each. Come on, really, really pray for your brother and your sister out loud. Pray for them out loud. Really contend for their breakthrough with them. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome, awesome. 
Yeah, if you haven't started praying, please start praying. We're only going to do this a moment longer. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We pray for our family members in need this morning. We pray for those who are sick or unable to be here. We pray healing over them right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for courage. Pray for courage to pursue your word. To pursue your word, God. We pray for courage to continue to go after Go after your word even when it's, when, it's, when it's difficult. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Amen, amen. All right, guys, just want to ask you to wind up, close up your prayer. Everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. Everybody said amen. Awesome, awesome. Here's Kristen to close us out. that was kind of on my heart when he was uh, talking about just how we can use church for business we can use it for promotion um, and just focus on our own opportunities and earlier this month I had kind of been talking to God about promises and felt like God was saying you know your destinies your opportunities your promises flow out of covenant I often choose to restore covenant before I open doors for opportunity and before I open doors for uh, just your destiny. I choose usually to restore covenant because covenant and family is where those things flow out of. Um, and I feel like that word is just what that we heard today was really on that and that we're a city of dreamers. We're a city of people who carry these incredible things and oftentimes it feels like, when does that happen? And I think God's usually saying, you're not, I'm not actually waiting for a door to open. I'm just waiting for you to be in the right family before, before I can let that door be open. So just take that, ponder it in your heart this week when you're just working on this word and, and know that God loves to open doors through family and through covenant and just commit your heart to that. And and if, if through this, one of the things that was on my heart, even while he was speaking, was if through this, this is kind of a hard message the last couple of weeks because, like he said, church hurt, disappointment, the unforgiveness part. If that's hard um, because family to you has been hard over just even your own personal family um, or loneliness, I just had kept hearing God say he places the lonely in families. He places the lonely in families. And if you are lonely and you're like, this is a hard message and I'm lonely, or this is a hard message, it's okay to be there, but take it to God. And we'll have a ministry to you come up. Don't, don't wait for it. Get it today. Because he loves to place the lonely in families. And, and yeah, I just feel like there's kind of an opportunity for that today. So today, if that's you, just don't wait. Come up with our ministry team and get prayer for that. And so just one little disclaimer, we won't have house church this week. Some people have been asking, so house church is not on this week. Uh, but I think we'll have some community stuff coming up in the next couple weeks or so. 
so uh, have the Wednesday night off and instead invite someone over for dinner. Be family. Um, but we love you all. Uh, drop your cards off for the Connect table. And thank you. Have a good week.